This is the word of the Lord from the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verses 6 through 21. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, sorcerers, the sexually immoral, murderers and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Thank you, Tess. Good morning again. When I was in high school, going into my senior year of high school, I was involved in all these things. So I was choir president, I was on the tennis team, I was helping lead worship in the youth group, I was overseeing, or a part of a, leading a student uh, Christian group on, on campus. I had built a whole bunch of stuff that was mine, and I liked it. I liked what I was doing, but I remember the summer before my senior year, I distinctly heard Jesus telling me, you need to give some of that up. And I said, no, I like what I've built. I spent a lot of time building it. I don't want to give it up. 
Instead of welcoming Jesus' presence, grace, love, and interference into the kingdoms that I had built for myself, I fought him off and held him, held him away. I said, no, Jesus, you can have this little bit of my heart, but the rest belongs to me. I don't know what God might have done had I submitted to him. I assume it would have been better, actually. I remember liking my senior year of high school, but he had better things for me, and I specifically said no. Human beings are good at fighting over our little broken kingdoms, at defending ourselves from the truth and from God's interference in our lives. We see this all around us, right? Violence in the world. We could look at the Rohingya and what they're experiencing in Myanmar. We could look at Syria and the violence there. We could look at Yemen and the extreme violence that's happening there, the humanitarian crisis there. We could look at politics in this country. Politicians are fighting with each other all the time. They're always defending themselves. They're getting themselves into trouble and then paying people off and covering things up. The church is no better. The Catholic Church, if you've been paying attention this week, has been, um, last several weeks, uh, cover up after cover up, and these things are just now coming out. The Evangelical Church, same thing, cover up after cover up, sexual abuse, um, major uh, evangelical leaders being brought down by sexual abuse that they've been hiding for years. The church is like any other group of human beings. We hold on to and defend our little kingdoms from God and from the truth. I got a bunch of texts this week from a pastor friend of mine from a different city who said that he is now having to face the evil in his, in his own life. He said that as a pastor, he cultivated his image, but he didn't deal with his sin. I'm grateful now that his sin is being rooted out and exposed to the light because God can heal that way. But it's sad and it's painful to watch what he's going through and going to be going through in the near future. And it makes me want to look more deeply at my own soul. Lord, what in my soul needs to be exposed and defeated and brought out to the light? Come, Lord Jesus, and search my heart. See if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in your everlasting way. And it's a reminder to you, please be praying for your pastors. We need your prayers. Pray that we will all be submitting ourselves to Jesus and not be trying to cultivate an image or build little kingdoms to ourselves. When it comes to our broken kingdoms, we don't even care if truth is truth. We just want to look good for our own side. We'd rather be a harlot who looks good from a distance than do the hard work of submitting ourselves to a slain lamb and washing our robes white in his blood. We've arrived at the very end of Revelation today. Super fun to have Tess read the very end of of the whole Bible and of Revelation. It's been a good summer. We've been working through uh, Revelation all summer. And if you remember, I started this summer by reading a fairy story. King made the princess for his son, the prince. They were supposed to get married, but she ran off with the dragon. The prince went to defeat the dragon, finally does, and woos the princess back to himself. And they end in a marriage and live happily ever after. This is the story of Revelation. We've been reminded that we are that princess, faithless. We're like a princess who chooses the dragon over the prince. But thanks be to God, we worship a faithful and wonderful Lord. And now, for those of us living in this time, we live in a time where the prince is wooing us back to himself. 
We know who that's we're spo- who we're supposed to marry, but we're still conflicted. Are we going to go to the dragon, adulterate ourselves with the dragon, or we will, will we submit ourselves to the lamb, the prince? Will we seek our own kingdoms and the broken kingdoms of the world filled with violence, evil, destruction, and ugliness, or will we choose to follow Jesus, the lamb, and submit to his kingdom of righteousness, beauty, love, grace, Will we protect ourselves through lies and cover-ups? Or will we invite the Lamb to make us new by the power of the Holy Spirit to renew us as his beautiful bride? Will we marry the Lamb or continue to prostitute ourselves with the dragon and the beast? Our passage today, and well, all of Revelation and all of the scripture, ends with John's invitation to Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. This is the cry of every heart that ultimately submits itself to him. Come, Lord Jesus, and set things right. Make it all whole again. Make it all righteous. Make me whole again. Overcome our little broken kingdoms of self-rule and oppression and faithlessness. Rule over it all the way you were meant to. So this is our prayer this morning. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray and then we'll look at the text. Father, we give you thanks and praise that you made us. You made us with purpose. You made us to be the bride for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the study we've had in Revelation. And we thank you for all the truths that we've learned and for the image of Jesus that we've got to see on display. We ask, Lord, that as we study this passage of scripture this morning, that Jesus would be glorified and that you would shape us and change us by your Holy Spirit. Father, we praise you. Jesus, we praise you. Holy Spirit, we praise you. We pray all this in in the name of Jesus. Amen. So again, this is our last Sunday in Revelation. And this passage is a goodbye to John's readers. Remember, this is a letter. And John is writing to specific churches who have specific questions that they're trying to get answered. And John answers all of those questions. First question is, should we compromise with the powers of the world? Should we compromise with specifically Rome in their era? But uh, Rome's been gone for a while for us. But um, should we compromise with the powers of the world? John says, no, don't compromise with the world. The world's ways are evil and they lead to death. You will not survive by following the world. You will die. Second question, how do we deal with suffering? Okay, if we're not going to compromise, we're going to suffer. So how do we deal with that? John says, remain faithful to Jesus in the middle of suffering. In the end, he will work all things together for your good. Okay, is Jesus really Lord? John's answer, yes, Jesus really is Lord. He is in charge of everything, all events, all human history, so that even things that look chaotic or evil are ultimately under his control. He allows evil so that he can offer grace to those who are still rejecting him. And their last question is, Jesus really coming back, and when will that happen? John's answer, yes, Jesus is coming back. And as our passage today says, he is coming soon. Now, 2,000 years may not feel soon to us. And I don't know when he is coming back, but Jesus tells us the time is near. He's coming soon, and it's a good thing, because we really need him. I want to point to the structure of this passage 
Verses 6 to 19 are what we call a chiasm. If you don't know that word, that comes from the Greek uh, for the letter key, which looks like an X. Chiasm or chiasm. So again, verses 6 to 19 are a chiasm. The way a chiasm works is the beginning and the end talk about the same subject. Then they kind of work forward in like an arrow shape like you see up here. So the beginning, 6 and 7, talks about the book of prophecy. And 18 and 19 talks about the book of prophecy. 8 to 10 talks about some of the faithful witnesses, those who have witnessed to Jesus throughout the book, John and the angel. And then 16 and 17 talk about witnesses, the angel again, and then the spirit and the bride. 11 and 12 and 14 and 15 talk about rewards and judgments for those who follow Jesus and those who don't. And then verse 13, I am Alpha and Omega, first and last, beginning and end. That is the point of our arrow. That's the whole purpose for this passage. John is trying to point to verse 13. So the way I'm going to structure the sermon, we're going to start with A and A prime, then B and B prime, C and C prime, and then we'll get to D. So we'll start with A, B, C, and D, which means we're jumping around in the text a little bit. So I just want to warn you. That's the way we're going to structure the sermon today. So we'll start actually with A and B together, looking at faithful and true witnesses. Revelation it says, is a faithful and true book of prophecy, verses 6 and 7, and then 18 and 19. 6 and 7, he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. You know, the words of the whole book. Trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And then jump down to 18 and 19. I will, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. Don't add to the book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. A lot about the book of prophecy. So what have we learned as we've gone through this faithful and true book of prophecy? A couple things. We've talked about God's invasion of earth. He is coming. Heaven is invading earth. God's ultimate purpose is to unite heaven and earth. And we've seen that with the scroll and the seals and the trumpets and the thunders and the bowls. This is a huge invasion of earth. God is clearing the way so that he can unite heaven and earth just the way he intended at the beginning. Also, Revelation invites us to be people of the lamb and not people of the beast. To unite ourselves to the lamb and not to follow and worship the beast. There's a real battle going on all the time. And we fight with our faithfulness to Jesus. That's the way we go to battle. Because we remember Jesus has already won the war. The war's over. He won by his death on the cross. So he invites us to choose today who we will serve. As Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In battle, the church can expect persecution and suffering and death. The world isn't happy that God is coming to overthrow its kingdoms. So we need to be prepared to remain faithful in the midst of suffering. And we can do that because we know Jesus is ultimately in charge. He is Lord over history. He's Lord over all kings. 
Again, he's defeated evil by his death on the cross. He's going to remove evil from creation once and for all. He is Lord. This book, John tells us, is faithful and true, which is interesting language. Jesus is described as faithful and true. The church, the witnesses are described as faithful and true. Like Christ is faithful and true, the book points to Christ. We are faithful and true when we properly point to Christ. When we direct ourselves, our loves, our energies to Christ and to revealing him. When we remain faithful to him by not seeking after other idols or worshiping other things or allying ourselves with things that are not Jesus. We speak truly about him in our words, in our worship and in our lives. And then we are also faithful and true. Again, when we point to him. Revelation is faithful and true because it reveals the one who is faithful and true, Jesus. And then there are all these witnesses listed. Uh, I listed them up there. The angel, the spirit, and the bride. Eight to ten is such a strange little passage. Let me read that for us. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. Why is John worshiping the angel? He said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers of the prophets and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. He said to me, don't seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near. It's so strange. This guy who hung out with Jesus, he's written this whole book about how you're only supposed to worship God. And even he is tempted to worship God's witness rather than God himself. Super interesting. Faithful and true witnesses to Jesus point others' worship to Jesus, as the angel does here. They don't point to themselves or to other masters or lords. This is one way we can assess whether someone is a faithful and true witness to Jesus. Are they pointing at themselves or are they pointing beyond themselves to Jesus? This is one assessment that we try to make of our own pastoral ministry. Am I pointing To myself, or am I pointing to Jesus? It's a question you can ask. Is your church pointing to itself, or to a leader? Or is it pointing to Jesus? Is it pointing to some program, or some event, or something else? Or is it constantly pointing to Jesus? When I stand up here, am I tempted to point to myself, or point to Jesus? The angel says, worship God. Don't worship me. And that strange note about John trying to worship the angel points to the glory of that angel. He is mighty, but he's also aware that worship belongs to God. It also points to our temptation to worship witnesses rather than God himself. We are tempted that way. Not only are we tempted to point to ourselves, we're also tempted to worship people who show God to us. Don't worship witnesses to the Lord. Worship the Lord. Don't worship your pastors or your church or other church leaders who led you to Jesus. Worship Jesus. Don't worship people who write great books about Jesus. Worship Jesus. Don't worship any church or its rules or ideas about how it does ministry. Worship Jesus. And hopefully this goes without being said, but I'll say it. Don't worship yourself or bring worship to yourself. Bring worship to Jesus. 
The temptation for all of us is to build sad, broken little kingdoms and then defend them. So for me, it's a reminder to notice those times and places when my heart wants to defend itself and seek protection for something that isn't Jesus. That might be a place where I've built a kingdom that I need to defend. Don't worship myself. Don't worship my kingdoms. Worship Jesus. As followers of the Lamb, God calls us to bear faithful witness to Jesus. Our lives and words should point others to him. And verses 11 and 12 and 14 and 15 tell us about the results of lives that point to him and then results of lives that don't. 11 and 12, so this is C on, your, uh, on our chiasm here. 11, let the evildoers still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he's done. Skipping 13, we'll come back to it. Go to 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life. They may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Jesus is telling us a few things here. One is that our deeds matter. The way we live matters. And especially the key deed, the key work. Do we come to Jesus or do we keep on fighting to protect our own kingdoms? Are we submitted to him or are we trusting in ourselves? Because the judgment for those who reject Jesus is real and severe. It says they will be left out. Earlier in the book, it talks about being thrown into a lake of fire. Judgment is coming and it's severe. Those who reject the lamb, who lie about Jesus and worship other things, will end up in the place of judgment outside the new Jerusalem that God is preparing for those who worship him. And the blessings for those who submit to him are incredible. Again, I want to make this point. It's not about being perfect. Living life in the kingdom of God is not about perfection because none of us will ever achieve that. He says, those who have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb, those who've submitted to Jesus, who are ready to be faithful in the middle of persecution and suffering, those will enter the city and get all the blessings that God created for us. It's amazing what God does for us in the city. We talked about it last week. And the ultimate blessing is unity and intimacy with God himself. What a gift. A gift that we don't deserve. Without Jesus, we are lost in darkness and despair. With Jesus, we have all the blessings, all the greatest, deepest desires of our hearts fulfilled in the new Jerusalem. We need Jesus. So submit to Jesus, take the side of the lamb and you receive blessings like the city and you get to eat from the tree of life. What a gift. Okay, verse 13, where we want to spend most of our time. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now it's easy to glance over this verse. Jesus has made similar claims to this throughout the book already. And it's kind of buried in there if you're not really looking for it. And it's made up of three lines that all seem to say the same thing. 
Alpha and Omega, first and last, beginning and the end. Yeah, got it. But again, this verse is the center of this passage. Jesus is the center of the passage and of the book of Revelation and of the New Testament and of the Old Testament and of all creation. He's the center of the whole thing. So let's look at this carefully. First, Alpha and Omega. Now, Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. What Jesus is saying here, I am Alpha, beginning, and end, Omega. And, this is an ancient way of speaking, you name the first and the last of a list to indicate you're the whole thing. So Jesus isn't Alpha and not Beta, Gamma, Delta, Epsilon. He's the whole thing. I think what he's saying the way I'm understanding him, is he is all the elements of language. He is all the letters. Language is how we make meaning, how we form words. He is the word that makes meaning out of all of creation. Without him, we have no meaning. We have no purpose. We can't make sense of anything that God has made. Like a baby who has everything that it needs, right? Calvin has everything that he needs. He's got a mom who cares for him people who love him. He's got clothes and food, and uh, I assume Aaron wipes butts once in a while, changes a diaper here and there. But the baby has no language. Calvin doesn't have any words. He can't make sense of any of that. He's just cared for. At some point, he'll have words, and he'll be able to say, thank you, mom. Thanks, dad. I love you. He'll have meaning put to his experience of life. In the same way, without Jesus, we're like babies who God the Father is caring for us. He's providing all of our needs. He's upholding us by his will. But we don't have language without Jesus. We can't submit to God the Father without Jesus. We can't make any sense of the world around us. We don't know to call God Father. For many of us, we don't even know that there's a God. It's Jesus, the word, that tells us God is Father. It's Jesus, the word, who provides access to God for us. He makes meaning out of all of it. We live in a world post-Babel. You remember the Tower of Babel, where our language is breaking apart. Our ability to communicate with one another is tainted, where it takes more and more work to make sense and meaning out of the world. But Jesus is the word that brings life, that allows the world and creation to have meaning. Without him, we're stuck in meaninglessness. And you can see meaninglessness in the world around us. Jesus is the answer to meaninglessness. We need Jesus to come and give meaning to this world that so easily devolves to meaninglessness. So come, Lord Jesus, and give meaning. He's also first and last. Again, I want to suggest first, beginning, last, end, and everything in between. He rules over, he is Lord over all of history. Again, as we saw, he holds the scroll in chapter 5, and he's the one breaking its seals. He rules over all of it. He is Lord of history. We need Jesus to come and give meaning, and we need Jesus to come and reveal his lordship. He is already Lord, but the church and the nations are still waiting for his lordship to be made obvious to everyone. So come, Lord Jesus. And reveal your rule over history. 
The last one, beginning and end. It sounds a lot like first and last, right? In English. In Greek, beginning is the word arche, and end is the word telos. Arche, telos, means source. It actually means ruler also. Source, rule, uh, pattern for life. Um, beginning. Daryl Johnson in his uh, wonderful book on Revelation, Discipleship on the Edge, talks about what it means that Jesus says he's the arche, the beginning. I'm the beginning. I'm the arche. It's a radical claim. Everything has its source in Jesus Christ. Everything finds its pattern, its way of being in Jesus Christ. Everything in the universe is stamped with the character of Jesus Christ. Every person on this planet owes his or her existence to Jesus Christ and finds her or his pattern for living in Jesus. He gives meaning to the world and he rules over it because he's the pattern that makes the whole thing possible. He's its source. He shows us how we're supposed to live. He reveals the pattern for living, that is, sacrifice, self-giving love, following the Father in all things, rejecting the lies of the evil one, caring for the oppressed and lost and poor and outsiders. He's our example. He's like DNA or computer programming, two things I know nothing about. But I get the impression that if your DNA says you're going to have blue eyes, then you will have blue eyes. I could try and fight against that, but it will just make a mess of my life. Jesus is the DNA that says this is what humanity is supposed to be. This is it. And you and I can fight against that, but it will make a mess of us. It doesn't bother him. He's still who he's supposed to be. But it's going to mess us up if we reject him. Humanity is supposed to look like him, and those of us who submit ourselves to Jesus will ultimately look like him in righteousness, holiness, and submission to the Father. Again, it's like computer programming. Computers do what their programming tells them to do. I think. That's what I've heard. I don't know. So he is our arche, our source, our pattern for life. He's also our telos. Telos in Greek means end goal or purpose. So he's not just our beginning. He's also our end. He is our purpose for life. We're going to become more and more like him. And that's one sense, I think, of what John means here. The other is God made us to be the bride, to be in intimacy, to marry Jesus. God made us to be united with Jesus, the lamb. He made us for himself. He's our purpose as the one who fulfills the deepest desires of our souls. I've been reading through uh, the Lord of the Rings with our oldest, Naomi. And we just got past the part where Aragorn shows up in Minas Tirith in the city of Gondor. And reading how Aragorn hasn't even announced himself as king yet. And the city's been living with a steward. They haven't had a king in generations. And Aragorn walks into the city and all the people of Gondor go, that's who I'm supposed to follow. They just know this is my purpose. He hasn't even announced himself as king, but he comes into the city. He starts healing. He starts doing king things. And the whole city goes, that's who I'm supposed to be. That's my purpose to follow that guy. In the same way, the people who are truest to the purposes and ideals of God's good creation 
have a deep longing for creation's true king to rule over it, even though it might mean that our kingdoms are destroyed or need to be submitted to him. Without him, we have meaninglessness. With him, he gives meaning to our lives. He's Lord of history. He's the pattern and purpose for creation and for us. So Jesus, we invite you to come because you make us right and you complete all of it. Come, Lord Jesus, make it all right. And then, so that's the end of our chiasm. And then we get to 20 and 21. The very last verses of scripture. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. The deep prayer at the core of the human soul. Come, Lord Jesus. This is the posture that John is modeling for us while he writes Revelation. Come, Lord Jesus. Come and claim your rightful place as king and ruler over the nations. Come and destroy the evil of the world. Come take charge of the violence throughout the world in Myanmar, Yemen, Syria, everywhere else. Come and deal with our political violence and divisions and hush money and corruptions and affairs and narcissists. Come and remove our racism and fear and hatred. Come and deal with sexual violence and domestic abuse and child abuse and abortion and pornography and bullying and all the ways that we misuse and mistreat others made in your image. Come and clean up the abuses of your church, Catholic, evangelical. Come and remove the false shepherds who are mistreating your people, Jesus. Come and deal with the evil in me. Come and remove it and cleanse me. Come and judge evil and reward the righteous. Come and make your world whole. Come and bring truth to our words. Give meaning to our lives. Come and rule over the whole future of creation. Come and be the pattern for our lives and enable us to live like you. Come and show yourself to be the purpose for all that exists. Come and perfect your creation so that we might be all that you created us to be. Come, live intimately with us for the sake of your glory. Come, Lord Jesus. We have a regular way to practice this invitation to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit by praying the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are welcoming God the Father along with his son Jesus and the Holy Spirit, to come and remake the world as it's supposed to be. We're saying, come, Lord, break down our little kingdoms and replace them with your kingdom of righteousness and justice. Remake us to be like Jesus. Make us into a beautiful bride fit for him. The king is coming to destroy the evil dragon. The prince will win in the end. And we have the opportunity to join him at the wedding feast. The story of the Bible and of Revelation is not just a fairy tale. It's a true fairy tale. The prince really has defeated the dragon and he is making us beautiful and whole again so that we might be an appropriate bride for him. And in the end, we get to live happily ever after with him. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. 
Father, we praise you. We thank you for this amazing book that we've gotten the chance to study this summer. We thank you for the vision that it gives us of the end. We thank you that you, by your son, the lamb, will defeat evil and remove it from your creation and that we will get the opportunity to spend eternity with you in a remade creation. And we will be remade. We will be righteous. We will be loving and just. We will be good in the way that is an appropriate fit for you, Jesus, our Lord and bridegroom. We invite you, Jesus, to come and remake this world and make us new. And together we pray the prayer that you taught us, Jesus. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.